I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Before we talk about this week's episode, just wanted to thank everybody for their patience over the last few weeks. Uh, life has been a bit crazy, so I haven't put any podcasts out, but I've got podcasts every week through the end of the year and all through the month of January planned, and plenty of interesting guests coming up that are recording all through the next few months. Should be really good stuff coming up, so again, I appreciate the patience. And now, for episode 120 of the Food About Town podcast, Chef Jeffrey McLean came over to the studio. Uh, Jeffrey's one of my favorite guests to have over at the studio. And we talked a little bit about my experience cooking at the Jobian Kitchen. Talked a little bit more about his work at doing uh, private chef work and now some contract work at one of the uh, interesting local spots. Listen to hear a bit more about that. We talk about local sourcing again. Uh, it's, it's a common topic when we get together. We just can't help ourselves. And we also talked a bit about holiday cooking, some things to avoid, things to try out. So take a listen. I know we're coming up on Christmas uh, real soon. So if you need a couple last-minute tips and tricks, we've got a few interesting things for you. So, again, thanks for listening. Appreciate everybody's patience. And everybody have a happy holidays. And tune in next week for another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Thanks for listening. So it's a blustery day here in Rochester. Not quite winter yet, but blustery nonetheless. And I'm here with one of my new regular podcast yeah. guests over here. Yeah. Mr. What, what do I call you? I, ah, you just call me Sheffrey. Sheffrey's a great name. Call for me you. Sheffrey. Thank so, you. So, uh, Chef Jeffrey McLean from what? I, what is your what is your current? Venture? You know what? At, at at this point, it's just you know, have knives will travel. That's a great thing I, to be. I like to think of it as culinary ninja. You know, that's not bad, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I um, you know, so so my big affiliation over the past decade or so has been with what's now New York Kitchen. Uh, it was New York Wine and Culinary Center. Same right. same owners, same board of directors, uh, same vision, just new paint job, new name, freshen up the place a little bit. I think it was a good move. Um, so that's been my major affiliation. I've, I've taught classes there for years, uh, but I'm also a private chef and personal instructor and culinary concierge. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like the A-team. You know, if you need help and if you can find me, maybe you can hire Jeffrey. <laughs> You know, that's what I'm thinking. It's, it's. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, we, um, we, we talked not that long ago. We talked mm. about the transition for the New York Wine Culinary Center. We yeah. talked about, you yeah. know, sort of this yeah. culinary concierge thing a yeah. little, bit. little bit. We're going to dabble a little bit more on sure. that today. In between, I remember you had uh, you briefly did some barbecue consultation. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw it on Facebook, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm, yeah. that's interesting." It uh, it it was. I had a friend, and and well, I still have the friend. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a friend who is uh, 
He's a, he's a great pit master. Um, he's real good at, at smoking the meats. Uh, everything from beef brisket to ribs, to, you know, the, the standard uh, fare right through. Uh, amazing beef short ribs. Great stuff. And uh, he, he had a place here uh, locally. And um, place place no longer uh, is open. But uh, I settled in a little bit to help him. Uh, more with the you know the culinary side of things, tighten up his recipes, make sure he's got good process and good formulas and good food that can be replicated. Because you know he he had everything on lock as far as the the pit went, and uh, you know the business end I can't really speak to, um, but I uh, came in just to help him define and refine the recipes. So that's it's a weird fun. thing though when you talk about you don't know the business side. Yeah, it's weird. You pick up stuff over time. Though. You do you and. Do. It's something like I've I've talked to people before, you know, they asked for some help. I looked mm-hmm. at some things. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, I'm I'm a professional. I work in a, you know, a business side sure. of things during the day. But, you know, you pick up things over time looking mm-hmm. at menus like, "Hey, how does this place do their menu? They're right. successful." Right. And how it's all those little things that I think people you get mired in the day to day, yeah. And sometimes you don't take time to look at those things. Well, and, and you know, I, I I think a lot of it because you know, as far as my my culinary style and my instruction style, I believe that you have to have strong fundamentals. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, strong fundamentals get you everywhere. Uh, flavor and flair and artistry comes in after you learn the fundamentals. And so, you know, to be able to read a profit and loss statement, but more specifically to be able to understand, especially in a kitchen, there's really no magic. You know, every teaspoon of salt costs something. Absolutely. And and the time it takes your help to scoop that salt also costs something. So, you know, there, there are a lot of analytical spreadsheets out there that'll help do it for you, but it's really about understanding you know, food cost and labor cost. There's no, there's no mystery, and it's something that you see from from chefs and people in this field quite regularly. Is they're amazing at what they do as far as creating culinarily, but to be able to wrap your head around the business of the kitchen, that's really what starts to separate very talented artistic cooks from su- successful chefs and business owners because. Artistry stops at the point when the checkbook opens because you know the the numbers the numbers don't lie right you know and you have to hit those numbers and if you're lucky enough to hit the numbers and be an artist at the same time then holy cow you're you, you're going to do good things right you make something great for everybody yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's when it, it was interesting you brought up I mean barbecue mm-hmm. which is a it's a difficult mm-hmm. field to be in there's a yeah. lot of places around yeah. nowadays. Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't talk too much about, um, you know, earlier in my career, uh, when it was restaurant work here and there, and 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 just you know doing whatever it took to to get the education. But part of that, uh, in the mid '90s, was doing you know chili cookoffs and barbecue competitions, and this was before it was even. I mean, there was some sanctioning in place, but it certainly wasn't the pop culture phenomenon uh, phenomenon that it's you know that's happened in the past twenty five years. Yeah, and and so there was this huge growth of barbecue in the mid nineties, uh, and I think you know, and and I'll, I'll make this statement, and and it's not something that that I say bashfully. I think barbecue as a culinary style is is dead is yeah. in and, and, and I, I don't mean dead like it's gonna dry up and blow away. Um dead is in is in the the market is saturated. 
Yeah, there's an absolute you know. there's an absolute ton of places, and I sure. think the reason why is a lot of people think they can do it, right. so they open a place. Sure, um, I think it's a lot like you know people that do home brew; they think they can do it, so they open a brewery. Yeah. It covers yeah. it. It feels there's some similarities mm-hmm. there where it feels technical enough where you think mm-hmm. you've mastered it, mm-hmm. and then you have to scale it up and serve it at a large quantity. Yeah, and and not only do you have to serve it en masse, but it has to be replicated. It needs to be put through the machine that is a restaurant, and you have to make something that everybody likes. And, you know, in this area of, of New York State, there's, I mean, there's one name with barbecue. Absolutely. It's, it's dinosaur. I mean, no doubt. You know, and, and listen, I, I can leave my personal feelings off the table. Whether I like their barbecue or not is irrelevant. Everybody eats dinosaur. And so if you're creating a, a, a restaurant from 100 miles from Buffalo, Syracuse, or Rochester, um, you're going to be a dinosaur clone, right? You're, you're going to, and everybody's going to compare you to dinosaur. And it doesn't matter what what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what the cooks and the chefs and the restaurant owners think of dinosaur. Uh, it's the fact that the populace speaks. See, my my only thought about it is, you know, you you can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You could be, mm-hmm. you could try to do dinosaur, but then dinosaur exists. Exactly. The other alternative yeah. is to be so different and so precise. Right. But your messaging has to be so strong. Like there can't be any deviation from it. Sure. You have to be so specific. Like, hey, we are exactly North Carolina vinegar right. whole hog barbecue, yep. or we are we are doing specifically Texas, and we are not deviating from it. Exactly. You're not getting sauce. This is what we got. And on top of that, I think I think there's something very easy, and this is something I talked to my friend about that was that was running that barbecue establishment is to not be that barbecue. And when I say that barbecue, I'm referring to the southern juke joint rib shack, good old boy, peanuts on the floor, served on paper with somebody playing a fiddle in the corner type yeah. barbecue joint. We get it. We get it. That's what everybody's trying to be. Right. And and you know, and at some places are very successful at that bottle. But if you're just gonna pop open and open another place that looks like that, you're not accomplishing anything. From from a chef standpoint, from a culinary standpoint, it makes sense to take the method of smoking, right? What makes and what defines barbecue as barbecue, and turn it back into what it is. And that's a method of preparation. Okay, um, like for example, uh, you know, imagine a menu that has traditional things like club sandwiches, or or uh, cubanos, or beef on wicks. Those traditional sandwiches, but they're all made from smoked and barbecued meats. Right, you're so, a sandwich place. Yeah, so now you're a sandwich place, or have dinner plates going out that are smoked turkey legs, as opposed to you know somebody else ruining a turkey breast <laughs> in a smoker because they don't know what the hell they're doing. No, it's a brutal thing to cook, and it's almost almost as bad as a chicken breast, which exactly. is one of the most god-awful things to cook. People think it's easy. <laughs> it is one of the hardest things to cook well. It, and it is, and, and this goes back to fundamentals. There's, you know, you, you mentioned the brewing industry, and I feel very much the same way. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, with the, the Farm Winery Act and the Farm Brewery Acts that came about, I think, yeah, that was great for business. Um, but, you know, to paraphrase Jeff Goldblum's character in, uh, in, in Jurassic Park, they were so worried about whether they could, they forgot to think 
whether they should. Just because you know how to make beer, just because you know how to make barbecue, um, doesn't mean you should be doing it. Technically, we can all read the book. Yeah. You know, we can we can all read the book, and we can set about the process. Um, so I think what you're going to see in the brewing industry, and something you've already seen in in barbecue, is you're going to see that bubble pop. You know, yeah. and I'm, they're going to dry up. I mean, it happened in the wine industry in this yeah. state. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity for that, but I think specifically, I've seen a lot of barbecue places close over the last two years, sure. um, especially in small towns sure. all around. You sure. know the Southern area of Rochester. Um, well, and you know, and to speak to that specifically, what happens is sometime in the fall, or rather in the spring, somebody opens a new business and they get hit with summer traffic. Oh yeah, right? that's brutal. And and people forget that this area, even you know, even into the cities of Rochester and Syracuse and all that, they are very much affected by the seasons. You know, you can have the same population in Buffalo, but your business is going to drop because nobody's going out in 12 feet of snow. Yeah. You know, and in the Finger Lakes, once uh, you know, once the end of September hits, you can roll up the sidewalk in most places. And it's weird here in town, you you'll get Depending on what kind of restaurant it is, it'll be dead in the summertime. Sure. And then they get really busy in the fall and wintertime. Exactly. And and so you have to be prepared. Whatever your season schedule is, you have to be prepared for that. To you know, to attempt to plan a, a four season successful restaurant, um, you you've gotta have uh, you better have a big vision, big pockets and a you know, big cojones. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's I think that vision part's important though. Yeah. Because when whenever you're doing something that's just like everybody else, yeah, you're you're just grabbing at money that doesn't exist. Right, right. You're trying to shave a percentage off of them and a percentage off of somebody else. It's easier to make your own market and try something new. I think that's the way to do it. I mean, a great a great example. I use you know, I talk about Marty's on a regular basis because mm-hmm. you know, one, Marty's a good guy, and two, they did that. They're they're using smoking techniques. But they're delivering sandwiches. They're delivering their food in a way that, hey, they're doing hybrid techniques. Yep. They're doing smoke as part of that. Yep. Exactly. And it turned out turned out really well because they're not a barbecue place. Right. They are right. a place that uses some barbecue techniques. Exactly. And it all turns out great in the end. And that's and that's the key, you know. And that that very well is the key. Um, you know, it's it's like. Um, you know, it's like going into a, a barbecue joint and, and walking in and ordering a hamburger. Yeah. Why would you do that? Why <laughs> Why would a barbecue joint even sell a hamburger? Right. Um, why would you sell a grilled chicken breast in a barbecue joint? So, you know, I think if you're going to be a restaurant, and, and you know, and I think, I, and, and you can't fault the restaurants entirely because now that I'm, I'm having this inner monologue with myself, I'm realizing that, you know, a lot of people, if they go into a restaurant and they see barbecue on the menu as part of a larger menu, the barbecue snobs oh, yeah. are going to say, no, I'm not touching that. They don't specialize in barbecue. It's not our, th- I'm not, I, there's no way I'm trying the ribs at this place because they're not going to be barbecue. And you're so, not wrong. You know, so I think there's, you know, there's some dichotomy here between the fact that, you know, the the people that are looking for barbecue, you know, are are of a certain mindset. I mean, you know, I I I think to myself the demographic for barbecue, any place I go for barbecue, I expect a 25 to 54-year-old man. You know, yeah. Um, I, I have a, you know, I have, I have, a, I have a, a fiance who eats barbecue, um, but eats it differently than, than I would if I went out with my buddies. I wouldn't expect her and her girlfriends to go there to have lunch. No, you it's, know? it's weird. I mean, we, 
you try everything's open to everybody and there's plenty of people that fit that mold that aren't, you know, men 25 to 54. Sure. But but we there's also the reality of the fact that you're dependent on those guys going to your sure. place sure. and ordering the giant combo platter for one man. Exactly. You're dependent on those people. You are. And and so now not only do you have to be dependent on them, but you have to to have enough confidence that they're going to be loyal and that they're going to like the sauces and that they're going to you know, it's 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 hard to squeeze yourself into such a narrow demographic. I mean, guys, for the most part, when it comes to food, they're not the ones making the choice, um, you know. And so he, you know, he might run in on his lunch and grab a sandwich, but he's probably not going to bring the family there for dinner. Because that's the other thing too. When you're talking about personal taste, mm-hmm. I mean, barbecue is such a regional, sure. regional personal taste thing. Sure. And I know, like, let's say I made all the sauces I like. I'd probably turn off a hell of a lot of people because my sauces wouldn't be sweet. Right. And you're turning off all the people that sure. expect, you know, Kansas City style exactly. big sweet sauces. Yeah. And like I'd be serving spicy vinegar and mustard and you know it would be delicious. Right. But would it be that? No, I I might like the farthest I'd go would be like uh, it was Kentucky Greg's in Buffalo was one was my that okay. was the place I went to as a kid. Okay. You know, he was a Kentucky guy, he did his style. Sure. You know, he served big pulled pork sandwiches on Texas toast. Okay. Oh, I mean, it was like... See? I grew up on it, but he did, like, you know, shoestring McDonald's-like fries, and that's it. You know, simple right. sandwiches. Simple. He did all the other stuff, but that was what you went for. You went for that thing. Yeah. And his sauce was just... It was fire. It was great. Well, and, you know, and, and there's there's something that, that you always have to take into consideration, and that is there's there's no accounting for taste, right? No. Um, if, if you grew up eating box macaroni and cheese, it doesn't matter what level of success you achieve in your life. At some point, you're going to crack open a box of macaroni and cheese, and it's going to take you back to your childhood, even though everything in the world says you shouldn't be doing that. Well, there's a, there's a shameful amount of times that I've eaten <laughs> you know, all of those foods because oh, there's yes. there's times where it comes into play. It. I need it. Absolutely. And, and you know, I mean... My uh, my my go to is is ramen noodle. You know the little oh, bricks of ramen. You know right? what? It's amazing I, what you can do with those. I love doing that. Um, you know the the ones for me. I mean, it's some of them are modern, some of them are past. But every so often, you just need to you, you need to crack into some sp- spicy nacho Doritos, and absolutely. there's no substitute yes. for them. Yeah, no, exactly. It, it's it's you know it's that <laughs> psychological connection with food. I think that. You know, as 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 these cultures continue to move, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past. Yeah. When you start looking at these multi multicultural food experiences that occur, and and even when you start to loop barbecue into that, I mean, you know, anybody who's ever eaten Texas barbecue needs to try Korean barbecue. Oh God, yeah. You know what? It's like just just try it. And it's you know? so so different, but so familiar. Exactly. Everything to it is so familiar. Exactly. And it just it's stuff like that that. What makes me think, like, hey, why isn't somebody doing, like, you know, Indian seasonings on brisket, right. smoked brisket? Sure. I mean, what amazing flavors you could coax exactly. out of that. Exactly. But you got to have the right market for it. You got to do it the right way. I think there's, well, a, you dis- do. there's yeah. a distinctive voice out there who can do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm doing Korean barbecue, but it's barbecue with Korean flavors. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's all that stuff. It's all out there. Sure. But it takes that vision to do it the right way. Exactly. So if anybody, you know, has the capital... I'm happy to be the vision. I Somebody's love it. just gonna have to, you know, they gotta back it financially. <laughs> just just saying, soliciting right now. Yeah. So speaking of, the last time we talked, 
was right before I went off and did my first stint in a yeah, kitchen. right on, over at Joe B. Yeah, so I, I cooked the last three days. I talked about it on a previous podcast, but it was after we talked the last right. time. And you were nice enough to come in for that first evening. You did. And help me do some chopping and yeah. prep work. Yeah, we did. We prepped it out. That was fun. And one, I really appreciated that. Sure. It was really helpful for me. Um, to get those extra set of hands because I was doing it all in my off of work time. Yeah, you were. <laughs> so I, we, I started that night. I ran till 11.30 that night, oh, I think. Oh, man. Okay. And then I went home. I worked the next day till noon. Okay. I took the rest of the day to prep. I finished. They opened at 5.30. I finished at 5.25. Well done. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> we started slinging tacos. I love it. Um, I got to say, though, the whole thing... Out of everything I did, I was really happy with you know what we ended up doing technically. Okay, cool. I thought it cool. turned out really good. Yeah. I think the part for me that fell the most was I probably left the oven on too hot overnight. Okay. I cooked the pork overnight yeah. in the oven. Yeah. And it reduced a lot. Sure. So we got a lot of dark flavors in the pork. Okay. Which I was gotcha. good. Right. But I think I had the oven just a hair too hot, so it overcooked. Gotcha. Probably, yeah, I would have said probably two fifty on that. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. I don't. I'm not sure the um the dial was a hundred percent. You gotta, yeah, especially you gotta you gotta have some English in there. A little Kentucky windage <laughs> on those old ovens. Just like a little bit of feel in yeah, there. Yeah, just reach in feel? and touch the metal if it's you know if it doesn't burn you immediately. So I did get a couple of those when I when I put it in. Yeah, I did, I yeah. got the I got the little kitchen burns. There you go. You got some scars of glory. Yeah, That's not not good. much, not much. I mean, not, right. not certainly not a pro by any means. I think I would rather cut my damn arm off than burn myself. I oh hate my god, burning myself. I oh. you know cut and and listen. I'm not you know to the culinary gods. I'm not looking to <laughs> cut myself. Anytime I don't want to cut today. But uh, I hate getting burned. Oh, oh my god, there makes was, me immediately angry. Um, one of the, one of the sous chefs in town. He works at Lento. Okay. Okay. Um, Gabriel Sanders. Uh, oh, Gabe, okay. Gabe's a sharp guy. Yeah, um, and he's working. Uh, he's suing with uh, with Art, and I think he's doing a lot. Of, you know, he's doing some off nights and doing sure. all the stuff. Okay, but I saw recently. I think he spilled a pot of boiling water oh, all over his oh, arm. Oh, 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 and I think he like basically did his whole arm off. Yeah, and I saw the pictures. It was nasty. Yeah, those, I felt really yeah. bad for him because he's you know he's getting some momentum going with his sure. pop up stuff and the great work he's doing Pop-ups. with Art over at Lento, uh, but. I saw. I mean, it was whole arms. Yeah, either he yeah. plunged his arm into boiling water or something like that. Steam and just, burns and water burns. Those are bad. Those oh. and sugar burns are about as bad as they get. Oh, sugar's nasty. Yeah. Every, every time you do Blech. something like that, you just like you just hope that yeah. you, you're not. This isn't the time you're dumb because you're going to be dumb at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You just hope yeah. this isn't the time I'm dumb. I just hire pi- pastry chefs to work with the sugar. <laughs> it's, it's so much easier. Yeah. It's you like, don't want yeah. No. Somebody else can. Yeah, they. Go make the caramel. Do, do the yeah. sugar work, doing the little whippy sugar yeah. thing. Yeah, no, a little, uh, little bit of, no, 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 a little sponge sugar, no thank you. Not for you. Nope, no, I'll stick with the meats. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, I got to say, everything else turned out good, and the prep work helped so much. Oh, sure. Because yeah. I just got, I, I wasn't overwhelmed, but like it was the last two hours before I had to serve. <laughs> sure. I hit that, I hit you that hit moment where yeah. it was like, I, I. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to finish. I got to finish, but I don't right. know if I'm going to finish. I'm assuming that's a regular occurrence. For oh, people, yeah. Though. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and what it turns into is your life, you almost develop a tick for looking at the clock. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and you get an uncanny sense of time passing uh, in your head. But uh, yeah, normally 
it's it's not to say that you don't coast up on the start of anything, but I think, you know, at least most of the individuals I've worked with over the years, if if they're quality um chefs and they do good solid work even if they're prepped up ahead of time they're obsessing over the nuances right up until the time the bell rings yeah um so there's you know and and i suppose it's everyone's dream to say oh yeah i finished my prep four hours early the problem is if you do that you find something else to obsess over for the next four hours of so, course um you know i always say i'm never really finished with it i just stop <laughs> you know you're never really finished with the food you just have to stop because you can't do anymore right then no you can't fix it if yeah. it's if it's a, not a hundred percent exactly at that point it is what it's going to be yeah pretty damn close to it yeah well and and with flavor profiles particularly if if you start obsessing over the taste and don't just take it at surface value um you really start deconstructing the flavor to a point where it's impossible to taste it as a as a as a as a whole anymore you know you get hung up on whether the the pepper's too much or the cloves not or whatever it might be and so you you zone in on that little thing that makes you just obsess over it and and quicker than not the wheels will come off because you'll obsess too much so Mm. sometimes for your own safety and well-being you just gotta be like you know what i just i can't anymore with that just don't just stop just stop just stop just stop and serve the damn food yeah just serve exactly yeah (laughs) yeah just serve the food just at some point i got over the fact that i made a couple mistakes yeah because it turned out it still was delicious yeah they were only mistakes to you though you have to remember that that's the best thing nobody got a copy of the recipe at the table no nobody knew exactly it was like i i was the only one that cared right but at some point i was like all right i'm serving it it's got to go. People, right. people are eating it, they're eating. and they're not unhappy. And I'm happy because that's about it. That's what I had to offer. Nobody threw anything back. So. No, and I was happy. I, I liked that. Did you? Uh, did you personally see? My thing was always to scrape the plates because mm. I want to see what's left on the plates. No, you, that's, know, we, you know that's the unspoken audience is what you put back in the trash. We had uh, we had portable containers, so oh, I didn't see anything come back. Okay, good. That's good for the ego. Yeah, right. That helps. That All helps. clean. Yeah. Everybody ate every yeah. bite. No doubt. Yeah, nothing worse. <laughs> I, I usually, no matter what I do, whether it's whether it's it's you know whether it's a class or whether it's some private event for twenty VIPs, I'm always looking at the plates, and then I stand there usually next to my assistant, whispering in her ear like, "What do you think they didn't like the potatoes? What was wrong with the steak? <laughs> I thought that steak was good. Do you think the steak? Was, you know, so yeah. yeah, that that's the nuances of the business. So I'm glad to hear it never stops. It never stops. <laughs> that makes me at happy. least it doesn't for me. I'm guessing that <laughs> that most. Uh, most colleagues in this field probably feel the same way. Yeah, exactly. All right. I think we're going to take our break. Then we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about culinary concierge. Yeah. Talk yeah. about some of the uh, opportunities you got moving forward. Absolutely. Some really neat stuff, it sounds fun. like. It's going to be fun. So uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Before we get back to this week's episode, just wanted to say once again, happy holidays to you and yours. Thanks again for being dedicated listeners to the Food About Town podcast. We do have some changes coming up to the podcast in the new year. A lot of the same, of course, but a little tweet, few tweaks here and there. So I hope you stay tuned uh, to see what's coming up next. And in the meantime, back to this week's episode with Chef Jeffrey McQueen, Chefry. All right, and we're back from our break. And while we're in the break... Yeah, Jeffrey just threw out some really interesting information about <laughs> blacksmithing. I didn't think I, we were talking about blacksmithing today, but here we are. Yeah, this is a, it's a little bit out of the norm, but uh, you know, so so I've got a whole bunch of kids. I got a whole flock of children. <laughs> 
I do. I you're have making five. Up, making up for me. Five, really? Yeah, I got five. Jeez, you're making up for me. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, you know, you still got plenty of time. Yeah, we got options. Yeah, no worries. But um, uh, of, of my children, a uh, couple of the, uh, so of the five, four boys, and of those boys, two of them have shown a, an interest in blacksmithing over the years. Mm. And the younger of the two, my son Aaron, Aaron McLean, um, was cast on the Forged in Fire TV show. I think it's on the uh, it's on the History Channel. Oh, beautiful! Forged in Fire. It's basically a blacksmithing reality show where they have to like make a knife and then present it to the judges and and do that whole thing. And uh, it's showing uh, December nineteenth. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it should should be pretty cool. I love stuff like that. And yeah. it's it's so you know we all use our knives. Sure. I mean, you you live on your knives. Absolutely. And when you can see all the work mm-hmm. that goes into doing it in the crafted way, not the machined way, but yeah. the crafted way. Oh, it's it's really it's ridiculous. Something. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm proud to say the first knife the boys ever made, they actually gave to me. So I have one of oh, their first awesome. ones. It's made out of an old uh made out of an old wood rasp yeah. that they just uh heated up and hammered into shape, but it's 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 really quite a process, and the things that they're making now, uh, it, it's remarkable. It, yeah, it's really remarkable. They still haven't made me a chef's knife, so I'm calling him out right now and saying, you know, he needs to make his father a chef's knife. Oh, and man, that it, I'm sure there's nothing quite like it when you get it. You know, when you get it all that tight, and you get yeah. it the way exactly you exactly. want it. Exactly. Yeah, handmade chef's knife. Oh, perfect. Man. Perfect. Nothing. There's Christmas is coming up. That's boys. right. Let's go. Come on, get on it, son. <laughs> Get up. That's right. So um, before the break, we were talking about, you know, my random culinary adventures. And um, I think what we were going to do, we were going to dive into some of your culinary concierge work. Yeah. And some of the directions you're going, because it sounded really interesting. Well, it's, it's you know, it's something that, that by default has kind of blossomed over the past few years. Right. And we talked about it a bit last yeah. time. But, I mean, let's rehash yeah. because I don't want to... I want to make sure people remember what's going on here. So essentially, you know, what happened throughout my time um, uh, working with New York Kitchen and New York Wine and Culinary Center is, you know, occasionally somebody would reach out to you and say, hey, can you, you know, can you do a cocktail party or can you come over and help us with a dinner or something like that? And, and so there's always opportunities that, that were presented um, that you could, you know, take advantage of and, and, you know, bring a culinary experience into someone's home. But the one thing I noticed a few years ago was that we were getting requests really from kind of, I call it two categories. We were getting vacationers. You know, especially in the Finger Lakes region, it's such a vacation hotspot. So many people come and get lake houses uh, or they come up for a weekend in the shoulder season to celebrate a birthday or an anniversary. And and they want a chef to come into the house. You know, most families have somebody that cooks. Um, but I, I think that, you know, in a lot of situations, you don't want to cook. You want to enjoy the moment. And so you can you can always order out, right? You can always have a caterer drop off some food. But where it gets a little different is to actually bring in uh, a professional culinarian, somebody who, who not only has the skill set to make whatever the menu is, but also, ideally, as an educator, can also you know, pass along some tips and tricks to become accessible, to become a resource for those individuals that are celebrating that time. So it's not just um, it's not just a couple hot pans of food. It's a it's a culinary experience. And 
We found uh, we found a market in vacationers and uh, and VIPs. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is which is a great start because it it offers a lot during the season sure. and you know certain times of year it, it lets you lets you stay afloat, lets you keep on doing things. Sure, sure. and um, people are. It seems like nowadays, especially people are willing to they're paying for experiences more and more. Yeah, versus yeah. buying another thing, people are starting to pay for that experience. Absolutely, um, which is. I think a worthwhile thing to do, especially when you can get that one-on-one time, right? With somebody that's willing to give you one-on-one time. Well, and I, you know, I think, you know, I I think there's always going to be a place for brick-and-mortar restaurants. There's always a a place for traditional caterers. But one thing that you've seen, whether it's, um, you know, experiential classes similar to what happens at New York Kitchen, or it's retreats and team-building exercises. most individuals are getting away from the 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 you know the the physical the tangible and they want an experience instead i think that we're we're all overloaded with uh with things right no and, doubt about it especially this time of the year you know my children start asking me what i want for christmas and it's like you know for all that is good and holy do not buy me things <laughs> Of any sort, you know, and plus I'm at the age right now where a nice warm pair of socks is a perfectly acceptable Christmas gift. Hey, there's nothing that beats a really nice pair of wool socks. <laughs> I agree. I was wearing smart wool over the weekend mm-hmm. back home where I was uh, moving Christmas trees with okay. the family. Yeah. Oh, all right. I felt great. Yes. All day. Waterproof boots yep. and nice wool socks. Not the crap. No. You Gotta need the, the nice stuff. stuff. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Makes all the difference, especially if you're a long day. See the fundamentals right there. Start with your feet. You can't cook well if your feet hurt. See, so it all goes back to the feet. What's your go-to for your long day in the kitchen? What's your go-to shoe? Uh, my go-to shoe. I actually have two. Uh, I have Rockports. Okay, right? uh, they make a comfortable shoe. Rockport is a great shoe, and then I also have. Uh, I think the ones that I really like, if I've got to lace up for a fourteen or sixteen-hour day, is I have tactical assault boots. Really? Um, because now you have ankle stability and you have compression on your foot all day. Oh. And, I mean, you're just you're locked in these things. You can you know walk through hell, fire, and brimstone to accomplish what you have to accomplish. Yeah. So that helps. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> yeah. because like I, I've I've come to wear when I do when I do outside work now at all. If I go home, mm-hmm. I wear hiking boots. Sure. So they're ones that are, they got a solid shank at the bottom. Yes. These yeah. are not flexible boots. No. You no. have feet that are sturdy. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. everything else takes care of itself. I, I agree with you on yeah. that. It's it's more comfortable than you think over it, time. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's just it. Is I mean, you know, you're not going to swell. Your arch isn't going to drop. And, and and yeah, it's definitely superior. I mean, you know, God forbid somebody gets their toes underneath your shoe, but oh, that's God. their problem. <laughs> you know, they shouldn't have been standing where I was about to be walking. Yeah, so. exactly. I said behind. Don't I turn around. I said behind. Don't turn around. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I'm such a small individual that oh, they God. don't notice me. Svelte, I'd say, yeah, is svelte, the proper that's word. That's the word. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, good shoes. Very yeah. critical. So you're doing you're doing the household stuff, and then yeah. it sounds like you're working on some other opportunities as well, well which it, are kind of interesting. You know what's what's fun about this is I've always enjoyed the dynamic nature of the culinary field. I mean, even if if you're you know if if your culinary experience is is in a kitchen in a traditional setting the dynamic nature of it is such that you're not doing the same thing from minute to minute right and so what i've always enjoyed doing while being an educator while being a culinary concierge is 
just looking around for other opportunities. Um, we, we've, uh, over the past few years, uh, we've had an opportunity to work with Kettle Ridge Farms, which is a farm in Victor. It's a maple and honey farm. Yeah, tell me a bit about that. I've heard a lot about them recently, and it's not just one or two people. I've, yeah. heard, I've seen it on social media. Sure. Seems like they've done a good job getting their name out there. Yeah, yeah. And then not only that, I've seen it not just from um, my friends who you know write and do stuff right. about food, but a lot of people who I just follow, they've been tagging Kettle Ridge sure. on just things they're going out to. It seems like they're doing some good stuff. Well, and I, you know, for me, it started with uh, what they do every fall called Kettle Fest. And it's, you know, they kind of celebrate the property. It's an art show. It's a craft show. We do cooking demos out there. Um, so we're making food. It's just an experience for individuals to come in and understand how a maple stand works and how apiaries function. And, and they've done a very good job of getting uh, public awareness on their property. Uh, and they create a great product, which is always nice, um, but they're very engaging with what they do up to and including this past year where they've begun doing uh, pop-up dinners right on the property. So now you're you're having a dinner in the maple stand. Which, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, one, the environment of that is fantastic. Sure. Um, and then two, there's very few things that beat good quality Full flavored New York State syrup. Oh man! I oh, mean, it's, it's so, so good. it's so good. I mean, I grew up on it. Sure. And then I develop, you know, you develop a taste for it. You do. And people, people pull out, you know, the manufactured crap, <laughs> and you're like, uh, why are you? If I'm gonna have sugar, yeah, I want real full flavored That's maple. Right. I don't want maple der- derivated flavor product. Well, and, and I don't want pancake syrup. That stuff's garbage. Here's a culinary nerd moment for you. Do you know what uh, what they use for fake maple flavoring? <sighs> I believe I do, okay. but go ahead. Fenugreek. 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 You know, I think I did know that. Yeah, so it's it's typically used a lot in Indian cuisine. It's a very and if if you've ever had it, if you've ever seen it in person as a whole piece. Yeah, I'm just speaking to everybody. Don't take a bite of it. No, it's awful. It's horrible. Terrible. Very by itself. bad. Yeah, it just destroys your mouth. <laughs> it does. It's really unpleasant. Yeah, it's but uh, but if you soak it in sugar water, it takes on a little bit of a maple thing. Interesting. So that's where a lot of it comes from besides, you know, poly this and sorbate this and right. et cetera. Right, like wood derivated, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah cellulose, it, yeah, it's no good. Um, well, and you know, and, and I mean, to speak to that, we talk about maple syrups and things, you have to remember, and you know, so many people don't give this consideration, everything has terroir. Yeah. Everything. So as a native of the Finger Lakes, I know maple from the Finger Lakes in a heartbeat. I could tell the difference between that and Vermont and Washington State Maple in, in a minute. Yeah, and it's it's also such a great thing that we have the opportunity to leverage, you know, leverage what we have in the world sure. and make a natural product that is one, truly New York State. Sure. You're right. It is truly New York State product. There's not that many. I mean, we we've got a lot of good stuff. You know, we've got a you know our Dairy industry is big, our apple industry is big, but this is so New York. There's it, only so many places you can make maple, and exactly. this is one of the few. Exactly, and what's nice about this particular uh, this this particular uh, stand, this particular maple stand, is that it's a young stand, which mm. means it has longevity. Because you know that everybody has this image in their head 
of walking through, you know, the woods and tapping the tree with grandpa. And it's one of those big old maples. And yes, I, I imagine you'll, you'll certainly get some maple out of that. But sugar maples and the syrup you get from them, uh, or the sap rather, is going to be much better when it's younger, when it's fresher, uh, you know, when the cellular structure isn't as, as tough in the trees. Um, you know, it, it speaks to anything. The age of your poultry is going to lead to more tender chickens. So. Well, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of, I'm not sure I ever thought about younger trees versus older trees, but the same with, uh, you know, old grapevines versus young sure. grapevines. You're getting mm-hmm. a different product. Not necessarily always better or worse, but it's different as it grows, as it gnarls, as you get exactly. you know, grown through the harshness exactly. of New York State winters. Yeah, well, I mean, just look what it does to the people. <laughs> I mean, look at what it does to our faces. Look exactly. at all this hair around here. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so this this thing with Kettle Ridge, what uh, what we were, we just helped them with their uh, their volunteer appreciation party on uh, Friday night, and and Chris and I were talking and. What what we're looking to do, and I don't think I'm letting the cat out of the bag too soon. What do you think? I'm trying to get a nod from from Laura across the room. You think we're good? Okay. Um, is is looking forward to 2019. Um, I'll handle all of their culinary. Right. So whether it's their their employee event or if it's one of their pop up dinners or something like that, um, you know, we want to be out there uh, making sure that we're you know that we're we're using their products, that we're promoting Kettle Ridge and putting on some phenomenal. Uh, experiences and and I, I I know some of the chefs that were there this past year they're phenomenal as well and 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 I think they did great with with what was accomplished and really you know I get to stand on the shoulders of giants and say here let's you know let's let Kettle Ridge speak with their own culinary voice right and also what a great opportunity to say hey we're highlighting exactly. this product yeah. Yeah. And, you know, especially a place that's making New York State product, it lets you leverage into sure. using other New York State products as well, which obviously you have a lot of experience with. Well, and it, exactly. And I think, you know, that, that really speaks to a broader thing that you and I were talking a little bit about during the break. And that was how this whole local seasonal movement, and I'd say, you know, this is... In the Northeast, the local seasonal thing is, you know, the that that it's probably got a good fifteen years under its belt. Yeah, I'd say, I'd at say least. from you know early two thousands. You know, if you look at the West Coast, they were twenty years ahead of us. They were doing this in nineteen eighty, right? But it finally made it to our corner of the country, mm-hmm. and we're doing it. But it's morphing. You know, um, I, I think that for a while we saw a lot of restaurants um, scampering off into the wilderness to grab anything that was local and seasonal and put it on a plate and say, look, we're local and seasonal. Mm-hmm. But I think what's happening now is the cream's rising to the top. We still have those you know, those culinarians that are making those bold statements, and I think that's, that's fantastic. But what I think we're seeing now more so is the industry – of local and seasonal taking a hold, the cheese, you know, cheese in this in this area for the past ten years is is absolutely insane, and it's still on the rise. And it's just, I mean, also fantastic quality. Oh, too. exactly. And it, it's got such, it's got its own voice. Sure. And it's come up so great. And also the places they're not just making one product anymore. No. They're not just making cheddar. No, exactly. They're making all these great products. Right. And I had, what I have it was it was maybe a lively run mm. blue cheese. And oh it was just man. A st- Donner. There, it's Cayuga Blue. It's, yeah, it's so the most good. Phenomenal blue. It's phenomenal. So good. And then I've had other places that made like goat blue cheese. Sure. And you know, even aged cheeses now. They're doing aged cheeses. Exactly. Really good. Well, and I, I think you know that's what's happening with the local and seasonal. I think it's one thing to run out and harvest a local item, prepare it, and put it on the plate. I yeah. respect that. Uh, I respect 
more so somebody that is going out and taking a natural product, whether it's the maple or the honey or the dairy, and they're turning it into something else. Um, you know, and I think you, you have to be, you, you can't have that conversation without like maybe even bringing the, the, the brewery conversation into it and saying, is it, you know, do we have to grow the, the, the grains and the hops locally for it to be a local beer? Yeah, and it's, it, it's weird. It's, you know, as I've traveled around recently, I've made a couple of visits this last week to different places. Uh, I went to uh, K2 Brewing, which is okay. right around the corner from my place, and they have a New England-style IPA on tap okay. that is all New York State products. Really? That's fantastic. And what a great thing to do is to take what is currently the hottest style in beer sure. um, all around the country yes. and do it all with New York State products exactly. and do a damn good job of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I went out to uh, Twin Elders out in Victor. Okay. And you know they you could see they list all the hops on the list of hops they're using. You know you say oh you're using you can tell they're using New York State hops on this. Sure. And you know like they made a Kolsch. Is a okay. really good Kolsch, but they're using New York State hops. Yeah. So that's remarkable. It felt in great balance, mm-hmm. and it was a really ma- well made product. So all these places are starting to really embrace. I think the farm brewing bill and really sure. what can I make the best with this? Exactly. Not just try and say, oh, we want it to be this other stuff. Well, I mean, if you look at if if you look at that, you know, that that fact that you hear constantly what grows together goes together, you know, the terroir, the, the so it only stands to region and this is the you know, this is pretty philosophical when I say this, but if we have um you know, items from a particular region, say New York State, and we're also mixing them with items that aren't from New York. Maybe they're from someplace else, and they're botanicals, and they're they're different combinations of flavor notes. It only stands to reason that on some level, those flavor notes are going to conflict, right? Because they're not necessarily from the same location. So, you know, conversely, if we get everything from the same region, we should be able to inherently just make a superior product. That is, of course, standing for the fact that everybody has the same skill set and you know fundamental knowledge. Yeah, well, it's amazing to see too, uh, you know, the development that's gone on with local produce now. Sure. So, like, what's developed and became like a hit all around the country. You know, the honey nut squash. Oh, these things are beautiful. It's grow. It, They're amazing. It didn't just grow here in the Finger Lakes. It was made. People here. created yes. that here in the Finger Lakes. Yes. And that's through you know fruition seeds through yes. Cornell, yeah. uh, through you know uh, you know the work that um, they're doing with uh, Row Seven through Dan sure. Barber. All this stuff is happening here in the Finger Absolutely. Lakes, and the fact that we developed this squash that is a hundred percent flavor based. Oh, it's amazing! They make it for flavor, and it is only made for flavor. Yeah, what a great thing! But that's here in the Finger Lakes, and that's through Cornell. That's through exactly all this opportunity we have to make great products. Well, and it you know it speaks to the the nature of the region. Petra at Fruition Seeds, phenomenal individual, so uh, cool. So you know the vision that she has and the way she operates that is is really driven by it's it's just it's it's driven by by 
vision. She said, we, we want to do these things. We want to make this right. Not for, you know, grown. I think we're in what zone six around here. Growth zone six. You know, we don't want to make it for this band of broad temperatures. We want to make this specific for the West side of Canandaigua Lake or the North end of Seneca Lake. And the way they're exploring growth, not as a, as a monocrop, but as a very specific, you know, small, cultured environment it's it's unbelievable absolutely yeah and um also just it's 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 great when you meet somebody and you know they have the passion yes like she can't hide it there's no hiding her passion no, not in the least and it's like it's it's just one of those people you meet you're like oh wow you there you nobody you can't care that much and it's yeah. like oh yeah she and it's great she's I, I loved it yeah uh yeah. magnetic personality very much so um so yeah, I mean, I've I've been obviously diving into local a lot with Frankly and everything sure. else I'm doing. Sure, we've been working with Headwater. Okay, and you know, we we love we love to see you know local places buying, you know, buying produce. Yep, even if they're just doing the regular old stuff. But it's when people take that time and effort mm-hmm. to take that vision and turn it into something great. Absolutely. And you know, when you get that great dish, I'm throw lento back out there. Mm-hmm. You know, lento's been sourcing local for longer than just about anybody else here sure. in town. Yeah. And when it when that harmony sings and you get that local thing that really just just hits every note that you want, you you can't get better than that. No, you really can't. It you know, there's a purity that comes with it. Yeah. Um and when you have a culinary talent, um, you know, recognizing the value and worth of the product that's when that's when everything hits yeah you know that's when it all it all comes true that's when it goes from being one of the herd like we talked about earlier yeah and brings it all the way back to being sure i'm you know restaurant the the term restaurant is such a broad category um you know that you really have to break it down i mean us in the industry we don't see we see restaurants everywhere, but none of them are like our restaurant, right? Yeah. But the public sure. doesn't see it that way. And so you have to be able to put something out there that's so perfect and so audacious that people can't ignore it. They have to they have to try it. Oh, see I just love whenever I hear that, it just yes. makes me it makes me like I know what I want, but I don't know what I want. Sure. I'm wait I'm, you just wait for those places to open you do. and when they do you just jump all over it because exactly. it's, it captures something in you. You know, the person that needs something interesting, needs something unique. Right. Um, and like when I travel, like we just came back from Seattle, you go to a place and you're like, oh, this just captured that thing that, exactly. I, was, that I wanted. I didn't know I wanted it. Yeah. But, oh, because it's a little bigger city, they can do these esoteric concepts that sure. just, they ring to one vision, one note, and it's just, mm. Just, I just got to grab it. Got to grab uh, it when you can. So, I think what we're going to do is we're going to pivot over and we're going to talk about holiday cooking for a few minutes. Okay, yeah, let's do that. So, holiday cooking. <laughs> I mean, holiday cooking is yeah. challenging for everybody. Oh man! And for somebody that does, you know, does these culinary concierge things, you yeah. go into people's houses, you're teaching them things sure. to do, and for somebody that has the wealth of knowledge of teaching over many years. <laughs> I've seen you've every seen, mistake. I've made most of them. You've seen them yeah. all. You've made yeah. them all. But let's talk specifically about we're coming into the Christmas season. Okay. We've got big proteins. We've got side dishes. Mm-hmm. We've got all this stuff yep. 
there's a lot of pitfalls involved yeah. with doing all this kind of cooking, especially if you don't do it on a regular basis. Right. Yes. You, you, the weekend warriors. Right. I, I I love their tenacity. Yeah. Exactly. They're like you know you know George and Martha haven't cooked in three months, but they've got all the kids and the grandkids coming over, and and she's going to bust out dinner for twenty five. Right. Uh, God bless her. It's a. Ta- I can't. Yes. I can't believe that. It, like it's. The audacity of somebody to do that. Yeah. It's, well, it's insanity. Like, how do you, you don't cook on a regular basis during the week, <laughs> and then you're trying to do a five-course dinner. Yeah. You know, here's here's the first thing I say, okay, because because I, I, I've seen it happen within, within factions of my family. The yeah. first thing is don't be too proud, yeah. okay? Uh, go ahead and tell everybody to bring a dish to pass. Unless you have a green bean casserole, that uh, you know melts in your mouth and makes unicorn sparkles show up in the air. <laughs> Just let everybody bring a dish. They're all going to bring the same things. They're going to bring a green bean casserole. They're going to bring sweet potatoes, and, and they're going to bring all the standard sides that the family has been eating for years. Take some of the load off your plate. You know you don't want to spend all that money anyway. No. Let them bring the sides. Also, okay? Yeah, I think it. I think it builds a better experience it for does. people because they get to contribute. Yes, I think nobody hates bringing a dish to a, an event like that. Well, no, exactly because it gives you a chance to show off because you know damn well you didn't cook all year either. So you're gonna, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and and I, and I'm I'm being a little farcical about this uh, because I do love. Um, you know, to me, my entire life has been spent in the kitchen and around food. So right. I love that everybody takes an opportunity to express their love through food. I it, think it's it, a beautiful thing. It is great. And uh, like we were, you were joking around about it, like you're doing these big dinners with <laughs> a huge family because it's, it is that difficult sometimes. It is. it is. And when you think about all the things that go yeah. into that, it's timing. Sure. It's big cooking, whether yeah. you're doing a roast beef, whether you're doing a turkey, whether you're doing all these other things. Yeah. Like, doing a turkey is technically challenging. Sure. Doing a proper roast beef well, and, and, is tough. You know, so let's 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 take these one by one. Okay. Yeah. First of all, with the turkey, yeah. stop brining it. Okay. Take it out of, you know, take it out of Uncle Lou's cooler that you just put three gallons of water and three cups of salt in and a bunch of herbs. And I know, you, you know, it's, it's the brine you've used for a few years, but it's, it's not doing what you think it's doing. And it imparts a flavor that, I hate to say it, half the people at the table don't like. Yeah, I okay. think it, it was it was on trend for a few years, and few I think years. we've evolved past yes. it now. Now the key is, and, and you and I talked about this, Chris, it's dry brining, right? Yeah. Which is also known as dry rub, right? Make a rub, um, make it, uh, you know, typically I use half a cup of salt for every one cup of herbs, okay? And as far as what you put the, the herbs, it, that's up to you. You can use fresh, you can use dry, get crazy, have fun. It's it's Personal uh, taste. Exactly. Everybody's got all the same spices in the cupboard. Have fun. Yeah. Leave the cayenne uh, pepper off the turkey. I agree. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I would like it probably. I'd love it, yeah. But, but I mean, I would love a true Cajun turkey. would be wonderful. Any of those kind of things, yeah. but it's not... You do have to be careful. Yeah. And it's something I I think when I cook for people, I, I try to keep it friendly for everybody. Sure. But I forget sometimes that my friendly <laughs> yeah. is not everybody's friendly. I have a hard time with that at home as well is because I'm a chili head, right? I love chilies. Yeah. And so I put chilies on everything. And so I'm thinking, oh, that's not very hot. No, it's it's really hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Laura looks at me like I have two heads. Oh. She's like, this is for breakfast potatoes? What? They're not that spicy. I got to say. I did something really stupid. Oh, boy. So I was at home. My parents were in a greenhouse business. Okay. And 
a few people every year, they want them to grow the hottest peppers around. <laughs> so they grow, um, they sell some reapers. Oh, delightful. And they're sitting on the plant. And I, you know what? I, I like a spicy thing. Uh-huh. And I like, I like notably <laughs> spicy things. Um, I took one off the plant. No, no. And I, I just took the tiniest nibble off oh, the bottom. No, and no. I got nothing. Okay. Okay. So I crack it open, <laughs> and it hits my nose, uh-huh. and I still proceed to take a Dude, small bite out of it. Even after it warned you. Oh, really small bite. It was the worst spicy thing it's I have ever so eaten. Brutal. It. I was I was coughing. My nose was, and this was instantaneous. Everything <laughs> was broken. Nothing was fine. I, I was th- I was getting sick almost. Uh-huh. It was so hot. I didn't even swallow it. Two point one million Scoville units on that pepper. It ruined me for uh-huh. ten minutes. I didn't even swallow it. I didn't even <laughs> chew it much. No, it ruined me for ten minutes. It's, yeah, you're and I've done. eaten a lot of spicy stuff. Uh-huh. We're talking million, probably million yeah. Scoville sauces. Sure, sure. This was easily the worst thing I've ever done food wise. And it, at that temp, it, at that Scoville rating, it's actually an anesthetic. Your mouth was probably numb. Oh right? God, it was you have such awful. sensory overload. Yeah, and, I mean, law enforcement pepper spray is anywhere between five hundred and seven hundred and fifty thousand Scoville units. Right. So this that that pepper comes in at like two point one million. Oh, uh, and it's just it's insane. I actually so you you know uh, Tom Falbo from Pepper Nuts. Oh yeah, Tommy's a great guy. Yeah, he uh, he gave me uh, I have that ground up as a powder. Yeah. And I thought it'd be a good idea. I used a quarter of a teaspoon oh, no. to make a 12-piece batch of Nashville hot chicken. <laughs> it was untouchable. Yeah. Untouchable. It's it's unbelievable. It's insanity. I it's, mean, it's a registered weapon. And it's like his sauces, they yeah. go up to a really hot level. They're hot. But like his ghost sauce, yeah. one, I think is a good sauce. Very good, good spice, sauce. Good spice, yeah. good balance. I went to uh, Muller's Cider House. They did a challenge. They bumped up that sauce with extract. Oh, Lord. And I sat there and I ate a pizza that was this big. Oh, Lord. In between each quarter of it, it took uh, me five minutes sure. just to calm just my Just to bring it down, down some. It w- I knew it was going to hurt. It was fine. <laughs> but that's the thing. I've eaten a lot of spicy stuff. Yeah. That's a spicy sauce with a spicy extract popped sure. in there. Right. Plus with pickled peppers on the pizza. Oh, there you go. And it's just everything just it burns <laughs> the hell out of you. But I can handle it. The Reaper. I got nothing. Yeah, no, I'll tell you what, and here's why. I know we're off subject here, but one of my favorite places to shop is uh, Asia Market. Oh, I love Asia Food Market. They have a double hot chicken ramen. Ooh. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, it's it's double hot. You know, most consumer food that is listed as spicy isn't spicy to chili heads. Yeah. This stuff's untouchable. It's, and this is in a package. In a package. And it, oh. it's crippling. And it's, it, it's, that, it's that rude... Uh, I call it the rude fermented chili heat. Oh, you know, nice. so it starts out comfortably, and yeah. then you're in in it about three minutes, and it starts just ripping you apart. And yeah, your hair follicles start sweating. Did I did I ever give you a taste of my hot sauce? No. Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm going to bring a bottle over. Okay. Good. So talk about talk about turkey for a so minute. So let's while start I walk turkey. Over to the so, refrigerator. All right. Good. Perfect. So we're going to do you know dry rubs the key here. Dry brine is definitely the way we want to go. Um, you know, half a cup of salt, cup of herbs, fresh or dried, poultry seasoning, rosemary, thyme, nothing too crazy. Garlic and onion, definitely, definitely your friend. Um, I think you know the 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 other thing you got to look at is is the timing. 
on the turkey and making sure that uh, that you don't overcook it. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty simple. 325, uh, you know, 13 to 15 minutes per pound. It's nothing too insane. We want to keep it simple and baseline for the turkey. And the biggest thing for me, and yeah. it's the one thing that I... I insist upon use a thermometer. Use a thermometer. Those don't silly guess. Oh man. Don't guess. Don't use the plastic don't pop-up those, thing. Yeah, no, those plastic things are useless. It pops up at like fifteen degrees over the USDA recommended value. Yeah, it pops up somewhere around 185, <laughs> which, which is I mean, jerky. You can you can you can cook a turkey to 150 or 155 sure. with no problems. Yep. Even if you do the USDA recommended 165. Yep. Like that's fine, but don't go to one seventy five. Don't, don't go to one eighty. No, no, no. You're the losing only, all the moisture. The only thing that dictates the moisture of your bird is the temperature. Absolutely. Yeah, and can, and the rest. And you know, yeah. and the thing here, and that's the one thing that that I, you you miss a lot of too. And that turkey comes out of the oven. I mean, we, we did what a fourteen pounder. It was, I don't know, it was about three hours or so, give or take, right? Uh, three hours, brought it out. That turkey sat for nearly an hour. Yeah. And that makes a lot of people nervous. But, you know, there's nothing to be nervous about. It's not going to suddenly develop salmonella. No. Um, but if it sits there, what happens, you know, the, the physiology behind when meat cooks is those proteins compress. They squeeze together, and they put all that liquid under pressure. So if you cut into a package uh, and you, you cut into the side of that, that turkey... Uh, the moisture is just going to bust out of there, so you got to let that that breast meat come down in temperature. You got to let that meat return to where it needs to be. Absolutely. And for me, when we're talking, so that's the turkey. Don't stuff it. Do your stuffing Don't on the side. Do the stuffing on the side. Do it on the side. Yes, I agree. Get your juices out of it if you can. If yep. not, buy a old chicken, pressure cook it, or boil the hell out of it. Use your instant pot for something good. Oh man, yeah. that's what I did. We did turkey soup after. Yep. So we did, um, we did the we did the carcass. We pressure cooked it all down. Did some veg. Yeah, that's the way you build a stock, though. Well, absolutely. Which is how you build a gravy, really. Yeah, and 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 you know, I got to back up here. I um, <clears throat> unless you're really putting it on display and you're going to have some formal Clark Griswold carving of the turkey, <laughs> um, don't don't roast the the whole thing whole, especially no. if you're not going to stuff it. Uh, there's a technique called spatchcocking. It's great. Yeah, you cut the spine out of it. Use a nice those kitchen scissors you got in the knife block that you never use. Use those kitchen scissors. They're meant to cut the spine out of that chicken. You basically uh, the chicken or the turkey, and you butterfly the whole thing open, and it cooks in half the time, uh, and then you slice it right out there. But what I did when I spatchcocked the uh, the turkey is that that spine, those hips, those parts that you cut out, boom, they go right in the stock pot, right? And it's get making all the difference. Yeah, get your, them going. Your the, gravy's going to be that better. You 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 will be known as as a winner or a loser your entire life based on your gravy. People. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no joke. Yeah. Use those organs. Use the bones. Yes. Make it good. Yes. Use the neck. Use the gizzard. Use oh, the liver. So good. Uh, actually, use the heart. Use the gizzard. Don't use the liver. The liver makes it a little cloudy. Yeah, it depends on if you want clarity or not. Yeah, exactly. But you got to have that flavor. That's oh, what they send those it. pieces for you. It's for gravy. Yeah, you just got to use them in the gravy. Yeah. So this, I, I've got a bottle. This looks like Scotch Bonnet. Uh, straight habanero. All right. Straight orange habanero. So I, I'm going to use the formal technique of uh, the finger. Yep, you're doing here. it right. Oh, nice tingle. Uh, it's got the itchy throat. Yeah, it's got a little bit. That's one thing I love about habaneros. 
is they give you that itchy throat. Yeah, it's got that little acrid, mm-hmm. that little acrid Ooh. thing going on. Yeah. So it's not crazy, but this one, <coughs> enough to give you a cough. It's good. A little bit of heat there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So habanero. I like this. Uh, de-seeded, because I don't. I think the seeds are too much. Yeah, no, no. They, and they're, they're, they're sharp. They're bitter. So I did a big, yeah. big uh, lot of those um, roasted with onions, garlic, and carrots. Nice. And then naturally fermented for two and a half months. Okay. Um, I actually had uh, Petra, Petra was over from Fruition Seeds. Perfect. I had messed up my fermentation slightly. Uh-oh. It went too hot and the, the top got uncovered. So the top fermented like nail polish. So we skimmed off the top quarter oh inch, yeah, and the bottom per- fermented perfectly. Perfectly. So she helped me a little bit with that. Then I pureed it, finished it with white vinegar. Oh, that's beautiful. Mostly white vinegar. We did some rice vinegar too. I like that. And that's then a um, nice little bit of xanthan gum to get it uh, like a El Yucateco, the neon yep. green sauce. I wanted yep. to get a little bit of thickness to it. Yeah, a little body to it. Yeah, I like it. It's that's fun. fantastic. I made way too much of it. <clears throat> Goodness so is, it'll never go bad. If you're a hot sauce guy, you can walk away with a bottle today. Oh, that's wonderful. If Absolutely. you enjoyed it. Yes, I love it. That's great stuff. Beautiful. I'll bring over some of my uh, my paint peeler. Right oh, now, so, I'm all, yeah. you know I'm getting I like, um, so I love hot sauces, but what I've enjoyed more is something I call, uh, I call them Sheffrey shakers. Mm. They're dry seasonings, right? Oh, okay. So, but they're, they're, they're not meant to be used as rubs or stuff. They're meant to be like finishing seasonings. Okay. You know, because I grew up with, with parents, and, and we all still know these people that, you know, they grab the salt and pepper shaker before they ever touch the food. Yeah, of course. So I want to give them something different. Right, so I'm working with uh, Niblack Foods. We're going to get them packaged up, and it'll be a dry shake. Right, it'll be there'll be like an all-purpose shake, like a Lowry seasoned salt. Oh right? yeah, little little more chefriized. Um, but the idea is there'll be a little shaker, and one of the shakers is going to be Devil's Dust. Ooh, yeah, and it's going to have uh, I think it's going to have the scorpion in it. So Ooh, I'm game. That should be a lot of fun. I'm I'll bring excited. you over some of that. Oh, That'll all right, good stuff. So I'm excited to try that. Yeah, let's talk roast beef. Roast beef. Yeah, first of all. Get get something that's fatty, okay? And and I like, you know, I'm going to use the two-stage method here. This is one that I've gotten real comfortable with. Some people get a little nervous about this, but it's the high-low. Crank your oven up to about 450, okay? Whatever your roast is, if you're getting a full rib, you know, you're going to do prime rib or something like that, you're looking at 12 pounds. That whole thing, oiled, seasoned, goes in the oven, uncovered at 450, three minutes per pound, Yeah. right? Then you turn the oven off. And just leave it in the oven. Don't open the oven. Leave the oven closed. Because basically what you're going to do, that, that roast has got its own thermal mass. And then the, the, the insulation from the oven. So we give it three minutes per pound at 450. And then you let it come down anywhere from seven to eight minutes per pound. So another hour, hour and a half in that oven as it cools slowly, it's going to cook perfectly medium rare. Really interesting. Yeah. Because one of the prevailing methods nowadays is the reverse sear. Ah, yes. Which, where you're doing low temp, you're kind of simulating your uh, sous vide technique. Yep. So you're cooking at low temp, you know, might be 200 or, you know, 225. You're cooking that for extended. Sure. Then right at the end, you're going full blast to get the hard crust on the outside. Yeah. So I think either way, it's that... It's that high temperature for a low amount of time, yeah, and then low temperature for a longer amount of exactly. time. Exactly, yeah, and and you know the thing is, um, boy, if you can 
I, I encourage everybody to look into sous vide. I oh, mean, man, it, I love it, it. You know, it's it's the best $150 investment you'll ever make. And now I think it's down to 100 bucks. Yeah, you can. It's uh, crazy. I just bought a new one. Jeez, I think we got ours at Target for, uh, it does five gallons of water. It was $159. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we were doing all kinds of stuff with this thing. I've been doing eggs a lot recently. Yeah. So I've been cooking my eggs to that, uh, you know, 62 degrees. Perfect. Centigrade. And then if you drop them, so they're basically loose whites. Yep. The egg, the yolks have thickened slightly. Yep. And then you drop it essentially into, if you have like hot rice or, you know, a hot dish, you drop it in, you scramble it in, it makes its own sauce. That's perfect. And you That's don't have to beautiful. do anything with right. it. You just drop it right in. Yeah, you know, we have to remember that when you're on the stove, all you're doing is is you're trying to control thermodynamics. Right. Right, so if we can control the temperature even more accurately, instead of taking a 500-degree oven and trying to get a 60-degree piece of meat up to 140, if we just have a 140-degree environment, that's going to be perfect, and that's really yeah. where the sous vide comes in. If you're if you're technologically, um, technologically, you know that's the way you like to go. You're bent towards that way. Yeah, get a sous vide machine. Yeah. You'll enjoy it. If not, go low oven. Yeah, low oven. Exactly. Go low yep. oven. You're going to do hit it high, low. Go low, high, whichever. But that's exactly. really the key. Yeah, I agree. So let's pick one side before we go. One, one side, side that people just don't get right. It's got to be the stuffing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I think there's so many ways to do it right yep. and so many ways to do it wrong. Well, you know, let's break it down into a category. Yeah. Okay, because mine is breadcrumb, right? And and typically, I'll be honest with you, bagged, bagged crouton from the store works great. Yeah. Right? Don't get crazy. Make sure you have bagged crouton. Although Make- I do have to say... When I went crazy mm-hmm. and I made it with real bread oh, yeah. and I chopped it and sure. then I toasted it sure. and then I did it, yeah, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. But, but oh, oh my so God, good. it was good. Right, especially if you get a combination of rye and different things like that and some cornbread. I think I had a, I think I had a whole grain from, uh, yeah. from Keith over Flower City bread. See, and that's beautiful. But that was... That's crazy to do that. It, it's a it lot is, of work. But but again, you get the benefits, right? You do. But you gotta lock down those fundamentals. So For you sure. need a good good uh good crumb, uh good stock, right? Yeah. Uh and you need I, I always use three components, right? I use some vegetable p- component. Typically I use mirepoix, right? I'm gonna use some type of fruit component, apple. I usually use some type of flavoring component, a meat component. This could be oysters, could be sausage, could be bacon or pork belly. And then you throw in a little bit of crunch, right? Because everything we just put in is kind of mushy. Throw in a walnut or a pecan or something like that. So we got to have crunchy, fruity, meaty bread. That's really the goal. Mm. And if, if the stock's got good flavor, we don't need to kill the things with herbs. You have to remember that that plate has to work together. So if you've got a rich gravy and an herbaceous bird, keep that stuffing true to its notes. Keep it with the crunch and keep it with the things that the other dishes don't have. It's a concert. When you eat these large holiday meals, it's a concert. That's why I always encourage everybody to bring a dish to pass because everybody will make theirs a little different, which means it's more of a more of a symphony as opposed to uh, you know, Grandma Edna creating her same 11 dishes where she uses the same seasoning profile in every single dish. I think that's a really good point. And I think that's a great takeaway for holiday meals or any big event you do is think about the combined experience. Yes. Yeah, don't get hung up. If you can have something that's got some acid mm-hmm. to, you know, hey, it's turkey and potatoes and stuffing and all these things that are heavy on heavy on heavy. Sure. 
Well, if you can have something with acid Absolutely. to throw in there. Yeah. If you have something that, you know, pops with sweetness but isn't crazy. Right. You it's, know, it's not marshmallow yams. Maybe it's <laughs> maple syrup in your sweet potatoes a little bit. Ooh. Maple ooh. syrup and a little bit of spice. I just remembered. I got to give you one quick recipe oh, so yeah. everybody can take this. So acorn squash, everybody usually hits with honey or maple or butter sure. or brown sugar, right? Something a little different. Olive oil, mm. rosemary, crushed red pepper. Love it. It's amazing, right? Leave the sweet out of it. Again, watch the concert, right? If you've got sweet potatoes, don't serve sweet squash. There's a reason that cranberry follows the holiday dinners around. You need that acid. Yeah. You need a little bit of that. People forget how much bitterness and acid is in the cranberry sauce you get out of a can. Exactly. It's bitter yeah. and it's acidic. Yeah, it is. And Very people much. forget about that, and that's they don't think that they're using it for that. They think it's sweet. Right, yeah, no. But no, it's no. bitter and acid. That stuff's right. bitter. Yeah, oh, horribly so. Everything at Thanksgiving is loaded with fat. Yeah. Everything is fatty. And if it's not fatty, it's herbaceous. Right. So it's important to bring in other notes, right? We have to, they, you know, um, occasionally you'll see, somebody told me they had a tossed salad at Thanksgiving. Which oh, I that sounds found, great. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. I see the point in having the acid, but... I don't know about tossed salad at Thanksgiving. But you also don't, you also can't combine it with everything else. You can't no. mix it on the plate. No, exactly. And I think that's just that tossed salad can't play, work and play well with others. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe maybe some lemon on your Brussels sprouts. Yeah, you know, a little lemon a little on the Brussels sprouts. Or, you know, cabbage slaw goes a long way at oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. A little know? bit of German, get some red sure. cabbage in there. Oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. All right. So All I think right. we're going to stop for today. Good, good. We got more for the next time. Absolutely. Always got something to say. So... Mr. Sheffery, why don't you throw out a couple plugs at the end? Oh, man, we got some great stuff going on with Kettle Ridge Farms. Okay, you got to come check us out heading into uh, heading into 2019. Also, New York Kitchen doing great things down there. Of course. And I, I'm going to tease a little bit because we've talked a lot about my culinary concierge and my pop-up stuff, and they can always get in touch with you to get my info if they want to find out where we're popping up. But I will tell you this. We are looking for a brick and mortar Love it. on the west side. Uh, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna bring that chefry instruction to the west side of Rochester. Sounds awesome. See man. what we can do there too. So super exciting. Lots of good stuff coming. I'm excited for you, buddy. And All right. uh, thanks for coming over. My and, pleasure. Uh, we'll be here uh, soon enough again with the Food About Town podcast and more with my buddy Sheffrey. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to episode 120 of the Food About Town podcast with Chef Jeffrey McLean, Sheffrey. And thanks to Donnie Clutterbuck for providing the music for this week's episode and all of our episodes going forward. It's been great to integrate a local musician and a friend's music into the podcast. So thanks again to Donnie and to all the listeners of the Food About Town podcast. Have yourself a good rest of your week. And thanks to my wife, Carrie, for putting up with me as I sit in my podcast room and ignore her. <laughs>